Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's really lovely to be here again with you all and um, to be able to share together around the Lord's table and come together as his body here in, in Wanganui and fellowship together this morning. It's a real joy and it's really a great thought that Jesus is here present with us. And I, my prayer this morning as we listen to his word spoken that we will be quiet before him and that all of our thoughts about what we're going to do after the, the service and about what our plans are for this week that we might put them aside and we might just sit quietly and, and just listen to, to what he has to say to us this morning. Um, Shirley and I have been working in the Philippines for um, a number of years since 1980 and we're very privileged to be part of what God is doing there and we hope that you too count it a privilege to be part of, of that work through your prayers and through your giving and it's a real privilege to be able to come and share a little bit this morning with you from God's word but also a little bit about what God is doing through us and there amongst the, the Talandic people in the Philippines. Um, the, the job that God called us to has been a lifetime job. When we um, went forward in faith and trusted the Lord to head out to the Philippines, we really were like Abraham and Sarah, heading out not knowing exactly what we were heading to. We had you know, pictures in our minds of what we were going to do, but it turned out nothing like we ever imagined. And it's been a, a step-by-step journey along, and trusting the Lord along the way. He's never completely revealed to us what he wanted us to do but he said, you know, this is the first step, take the first step and then when you've taken that I'll show you the second step and so on all the way through life. And as we look back now, it's just been such an incredible privilege to be part of what God is doing. One of the most exciting um, parts of our journey and part of our ministry has been to take the gospel message to a people who were lost not only in sin but were lost in the jungle and who had no contact with the outside world. And yet the believers today rejoice and thank God that even though they were in the middle of the jungle, cut off from the rest of the world, he knew where they were and he had a plan to reach them. And it's been amazing just to see how God has reached these people and the journey that we had to go on to see this accomplished, um, having to learn languages and culture, having to make friends, having to walk into a jungle area where people had never seen white people before with a message from God. How were we going to present this message? Again, just amazing how God worked it all out and step by step we saw him working and moving. The work that we are now involved in is the final part of um, the work that God has called us to and that is, is Bible translation, taking God's word and actually translating it into their language. They were a people who had um, an unwritten language. No one had ever written their language down before. So we had to learn it and we had to study it and understand it, be able to, to write it down and be able to explain how it worked before we could even start translating God's word into their language. 
And it's been, a, as I said, a, a lifetime journey. But today we are well on the way in regards to the translation of God's word. We started off, of course there was no Bible to teach them from. We knew what the Bible message was. But how we went in there and to, to share God's word with them, we couldn't go in using Western methods of evangelism. Um, it just wouldn't work. And again today, as I look around our society here in New Zealand and the West, a lot of people are still using old-fashioned Western methods of going out there preaching the gospel that don't work anymore because our society has changed. And it's a real challenge to me to realise that God's message is not just you know, found in the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels. But God's message is this, the whole story from beginning to end and that is the challenge. That, you know, people today do not know the story, the overall big story. And as we come this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, I want to challenge us to think about um, where this passage is in the Bible. It's not at the beginning, it's not in the middle, it's way at the end. And if we look um, in the Bible, all the books of the Bible laid out in full, there's a lot of books, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. And the book that we're going to be looking at this morning, Ephesians, is right here, near the end of this big book. Now, Diving into this passage this morning, I don't know where we're all at as spiritually. I don't know how much of the Bible we really know and understand. But the Bible can be likened to a massive thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. You imagine if we brought in this big um, thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle and we dumped all the pieces out on the table this morning and then we took the box and we hid the box away. And we lay out all the pieces and I say to you now, we've got to put this jigsaw puzzle together. Well, our first question is, well, where, where's the box? Where's the cover? Where's the big pictures so that we know how to put this together? We go out into the world and as we even read the Bible ourselves, we open it willy-nilly anywhere and we pick out a passage and we read it and we expect to understand it. And it's kind of like picking up one of those pieces of jigsaw and saying, now this is really nice. It's got blue on it and it's this shape. Now I wonder where this fits in the jigsaw. Because it's blue it probably fits in the sky but now there's a little bit of black on that too and we can spend quite a few time, you know, few minutes or even an hours discussing this little piece of jigsaw, coming up with our own ideas, our own interpretation of what it might be where it should fit in the big picture but if we don't have the big picture all we're getting is our own ideas and our own thoughts and we're not really seeing the interpretation of those verses through the overall picture of God's word. So that's the challenge that comes to us this morning. So I don't know whether we know the big story here and you know our children growing up today are not often getting the big story. They're not getting the whole story from Genesis all the way through. And so they're told different stories in the Bible and we take these stories out and we use them to, to and give them a, a, our own application. Like, 
For instance, like the story of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. We can tell that to, to kids in Sunday school and they can hear the story of how brave Daniel was and how he stood up for the Lord. And then we can apply that and say, now you too can be brave for the Lord. You know, when you go to school, you're a Christian, you can be brave, you can stand up. And we give an application that is not really part of what the story is trying to present. The story of Daniel with all these other stories are a series of events, historical facts that took place back in time past and they all belong to a big story that tells one message. And this has really been an eye-opening thing for us as we've translated and taught God's word is that if we don't understand the big picture, we're just going to take little pieces out and try and apply them to our lives and it becomes self-effort. But we're not hearing what God wants to say to us. And it's really difficult here in New Zealand because when we talk to especially older people and we talk about you know, teaching the Bible from the beginning and they always say, well, I know all those stories. You know, I had them since I was growing up. But when you start questioning them, they really don't know them at all. And sometimes it's really good, no matter what stage we are in life, even older people, we go back to the beginning and start reading the, the story of, that God has given us in his book from the beginning through to the end. We will be amazed at what we thought we knew we didn't really know at all. So Ephesians, you look at all of these sections in the Bible, we can see that they're all divided up into different sections. There's um, the first five books are called the law and then the next 12 are called history. Next is poetry, major prophets, minor prophets, gospels, acts, history again and then Paul's letters. There's all different genres of scripture yet all of these are part of a big picture. But to understand where all of these ones go, it's, it's good to know that the, the Bible actually starts a story from the very beginning in Genesis and it goes all the way through the book of Acts. That is the main story. So if we look at this book today, that we want to know what it's, it's saying to us. Well, it's telling a story and it starts at Genesis and it goes through the whole Old Testament, through all the Gospels and through the book of Acts and it stops there. That is the story. And if we don't know that story, then we're going to find these other parts of the Bible very difficult to understand. The poetry books and all of these other books all fit in the context of that story. So they are to be interpreted through the context of that story. The epistles, I like to look at the epistles or the letters at the end from Romans through to Revelation as all the story boiled down into concentrate. And we come up from these epistles with statements of doctrine and theology, but they can only be understood in light of the big story. Um, the sad thing today is that we have our, um, our quick methods of evangelism and we like to pick out verses from the, old, the, old, or from the New Testament, from these epistles. We, we pick out verses like, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. These are statements, doctrinal statements, that are concentrate, that are boiled down from the big story. So we tell people these things. We say that you're a sinner because everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the person hears that and they say, well, yeah, all right, but I really don't believe I'm a sinner because 
you know, I'm, I'm good to my neighbour. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen. And their understanding of what a sinner is or what sin is cannot be really applied just from a statement. They need to hear why they're a sinner. And people have this idea, I'm a sinner because I sin. And I often tell people, well, you know, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. There's a big difference. Okay, an elephant gives birth to elephants. It doesn't give birth to giraffes. A dog doesn't give birth to cats. A dog gives birth to puppies. Human beings who are sinners give birth to human beings who are sinners. And Adam and Eve, right in the very beginning, they were broken off from God. And that's where our story starts, that we're all sinners because we're ancestors, of, we're descendants of Adam and Eve. And so taking statements out of these epistles and trying to get people to understand them is impossible without the context of the whole story. So as we go into Ephesians this morning and read this passage, it's based upon the, the context of the story, the whole story. And we, we've already this morning um, been reminded of the death of the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. And we might know this from these doctrinal statements that are being made, but unless we know the big story, it's not going to be really meaningful. I'd like to ask this question to each one of us. Who would rather watch a movie from the beginning to the end or sit down with somebody who's seen that movie and they just tell us about that movie? It's obvious, isn't it? We'd, we'd love to see the movie ourselves and go through the whole thing. It's the same with the Bible. Unless we go through the whole story, we're not going to be understanding it and not excited about it. But just hearing people tell us what they think about it or what they know about it is quite different. So how we read the Bible is important. And all of the New Testament is an explanation of the Old Testament. So if we don't have an understanding of the Old Testament, we're not really going to understand the New Testament. And someone has said that the Old Testament is actually the New Testament hidden away or concealed. The New Testament is really the Old Testament revealed. And you can't have one without the other, so they mesh them together. So it's really important that we understand the big story. And we need to enter the story and understand what we read in the Bible from within that context. So this morning, I would challenge each one of us to think seriously, do we really know the big story? Our children growing up are going to you know, Sunday school and going to Kids Zone, whatever they call it, and they're hearing all of these bits and pieces of the story, but do they know the story? And us as parents who have children, my challenge comes to us is that it's our responsibility to teach our children. Us who are grandparents, it's our responsibility to teach our grandkids through the story from beginning to end and give them a context of all that they're going to hear when they go to um, church. Let's read this together this morning as we dive into this passage in Ephesians. It says, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now this paragraph here is so pregnant and full of meaning that it would take forever this morning to unpack it. All of these, these words that are underlined here are just some of the major things in this passage. We might look at that and you know, we might be able to understand it overall, what it's trying to say, but it would take a long time to explain it, if, especially if we haven't been through the big story of the scripture. First of all, it's important to know this morning who Paul, the Apostle Paul, is. You know, we've heard about the Apostle Paul. Well, who is he? And we meet him in the book of Acts. Still going through that story, we hear about this person who was once God's great enemy, who killed Christians. But now here he is writing a letter to Christians and he's a Christian himself. Well, what happened in his life? Again, that's all part of the story. And we haven't got time to go into that this morning. But Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. And in this passage, he's talking about our salvation. And he's talking about the source and the purpose of our salvation. And the main things that come out in this passage are that our salvation is a gift from God. And it's he who decided that we would have this salvation. But for us to really understand this, again we need to to look at it within the context of the story. It's essential that we hear the truth from God's perspective and that we understand it and agree with it. And God's word tells us that if we do hear his message and understand it and agree with him, that he gives us faith and energises us with faith. Faith, the Bible tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God. But then it says that faith comes by hearing God's message and understanding it. And the sad thing is that people out there today, everybody wants to go to heaven and so they look for a quick method of how they can get God to accept them so that they can go to heaven. So the method might go like this. Okay, You need to know that you're a sinner. You need to confess your sin and you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. Then you need to ask Jesus into your heart and then you need to confess any sin that you've got left that you might think of, confess it all. And we come up with all of these different steps, but quick steps that we might be able to get God to accept us into heaven. 
But the Bible message, the message of the gospel, is actually not about getting us into heaven. That might come as a shock to some of us today. You know, a lot of us are heaven orientated. We all want to go to heaven, but we hear that we're going to be punished for our sin and thrown into hell if we don't believe in Jesus. And so the focus seems to be on that. And that's how a lot of people enter into the, big, into the message of the Bible with their own interpretation. But if we read it from God's perspective, then we get a completely different view and understanding of, of what the Bible is saying. The true content of the Gospel is not just heaven one day when we die, but rather Christ in us right now. So it's not about the gospel is not about getting us into heaven, but it's about getting God out of heaven and into us right now. And what does that mean? It means that we come into a personal relationship with God and that he dwells within us by his spirit and that we get to be his friend right now. We can talk with him and we can walk with him and we can live our life with him and then when we leave here and we, we die, we just continue on. It's not like, you know, we live for ourselves now, but because I've prayed this prayer and asked Jesus into my heart, then when I die I get to go to heaven and then begins all this wonderful stuff that, you know, God has promised me. It's not that at all. It's about enjoying all of that now. If Christ comes and lives within us, then he becomes our king and our Lord we belong to him. He tells us what we should do and our life begins to, to have purpose. If the whole story is not understood and preached properly and we just preach this quick fire gospel in a nutshell message, someone has says what we end up with is evangelifish. Not evangelicals, but evangelifish. People without any spiritual vertebrae, people without any spiritual backbone, all they know is that they're going to heaven when they die. And so how can there be any change in their life? How can there be any evidence that there's any life in them? So understanding this message from God's perspective is very, very important for us. Understanding our salvation from God's perspective ensures that we have security in our relationship with God. Understanding our salvation from God's perspective ensures freedom to enjoy our relationship with God. And then thirdly, understanding our salvation from God's perspective ensures purpose in our relationship with God. And these are three things that many so-called Christians are lacking. When a Christian sins and he thinks oh now have I lost my salvation and he's worried about it and he's you know fussing about this issue of whether or not he's still saved how can he enjoy his relationship with God in that state he can't a person who is not secure in their relationship with God and their salvation they cannot enjoy God because they're always worrying about whether they're doing enough to please God, if God is accepting them enough, if he's loving them enough and he might be able to love them more if, if they do some more things for God. There's no 
freedom to enjoy God in that kind of a relationship. And thirdly, a, a person who calls himself a Christian but he's worried about you know, sinning and he's worried about his security, he's not enjoying God, he has no purpose in his life. He's just living for himself and doing what he thinks is right and when he does something bad he feels bad and he goes back to doubting his salvation. That kind of a, a believer doesn't go anywhere because he doesn't have any spiritual back, backbone. And I thank the Lord that amongst the Talandic people that the majority there who have heard the big story from beginning to the end, they are secure in their salvation because they know that their salvation is based upon what God did for them and not upon what they think they can do for God. So Ephesians is written to believers with understanding of the whole story. These people that Paul wrote to originally, they understood the whole story um, and they now all of the information that we read in those verses earlier that we haven't got time to unpack, they could understand what all of those things meant because they had a background of understanding. If we study and interpret the Bible from outside the whole story, we will be confused by human reasoning and thought patterns which are affected by the world, the flesh and the devil. And I really believe that this is one of the biggest reasons why we have so many different denominations. We have so many different groups of people. I'm a pre-tribulation, I'm, I'm you know, post-trib and others say I'm a, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a hyper-Calvinist and all of these issues are because people are not understanding God's message through the context of the whole story. They're pulling out pieces. As we read through those verses earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about before God even began to create anything, he already decided what he was going to do. And he was going to choose certain people to be in Christ and they were going to become his, his people. And if you understand who God is and how he has worked all the way down through history, you are confident that what God has done and is doing is always good. There's, God is never unjust. God is never mean. God is perfect. He's pure. He's holy. He's merciful. And he's just. And all of these things are built into our belief as we go through the whole story. But when we dive into this passage and people then start saying, well, that's not fair that God would choose some people and not choose others. And then they get into this big argument about Calvinism and all this kind of stuff and it's got nothing at all to do with what God says in the Bible. And so we, we focus on things that are not important. And my challenge again this morning is that we would get the whole story and hear it from God's perspective and then a lot of these issues will be resolved for us. Some of these arguments that people come up with are just, they're not logical and they don't fit into our even our everyday thinking. Like, you think about this, that none of us here in this building this morning chose to be born into this world. None of us did. Someone chose that for us, our parents. We don't have any problem with that, you know, unless we find life getting hard and then we make choices. Sometimes people make bad choices to end their life. We get to make choices, but... Some of these decisions were made by somebody else. 
So our parents, we don't have a problem with that that they, they chose to bring us into the world. But when it comes to God, God can't choose. You know, God can't choose to, to bring people into Christ. We, we, that's not fair. And it's selfish, really humanistic thinking that it's not logical. We wouldn't use that same argument regarding our parents. So all of these, what I'm saying here is that I'm not saying you know, that we should be Calvinists or pre-tribulationists or whatever. I, all I'm saying is that all of these silly arguments will be answered for us if we get into the big story and let God speak to us. Then we will understand things from his perspective and they won't be issues anymore. So going quickly through these verses this morning because time's running out. Um, our condition, verse 1 to 3, is we're born outside of Christ without any ability to please God. This is what verses 1 to 3 tell us. And explaining some of these words in here, we haven't got time, but you know, there's things like sins and transgressions. They're not the same thing. They're two different things. As you go through the big picture, all of those things are explained to us. You know, sinfulness and is a, an offence or a violation of God's laws. A transgression is showing that we've gone astray, we've missed the mark. And in the Old Testament there's sacrifices for transgressions, there's tra- sacrifices for sins and all of these things are explained through the Old Testament. We haven't got time now to, to go into this but these are just some examples that if we want to really understand what these verses are saying, we need to have that background information. This is our condition. We're born into the world outside of Christ and this is what we are like in God's eyes. Verse 2 says that we follow the ways of the world and we hear in the Bible that there's three enemies that God has and we have the world, the flesh and the devil. And these verses explain fully that we follow the ways of the world. We do what the world tells us to do without even thinking. We obey the devil. We allow our evil natural desires, our flesh to control us. That is our natural state. You know, when God created human beings in the beginning, Adam and Eve, he created them for a purpose. He created them to rule over all of his creation. But to do that, they needed to be in fellowship with him and God created us to be indwelt by his Holy Spirit. But each one of us are born into this world now without God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We're like our ancestors Adam and Eve. And so if we are outside of Christ, that means the Holy Spirit's not living in us, this is all that we're capable of doing, being sinful, being transgressors, being people who are controlled by the devil and the world and, and our own natural desires. So how, if we were in that state, how could we ever think that we could be good enough to get God to, to accept us? and bring us into his family. It, it doesn't make sense. And as you go through the big story, through the big movie, all of these things are brought out in stories and you begin to understand these things and you begin to realise that, hey, I'm not just a sinner because I sin, but I'm a sinner because I was born into this world as a sinner. And I can't escape from that without God's help. And so then I don't think, well, I can do something to please God. And that thought is taken away because whatever I try to do to please God, the Bible tells me that it's like filthy rags in his sight. So we're absolutely in a hopeless mess without 
any hope unless God steps in and does something. And then verses 4 to 6 explain to us about God. He's rich in mercy. He gave his life. He did this through grace. And all of these wonderful things about God are explained to us through stories from Genesis all the way through the Bible. And you see God helping people. You see that he loves people. You see that he he can't stand sin. And all of these things are brought out gently for us through the big movie. And that's why I really believe that if we want our children to understand God and to understand all the things that they hear in church, we must take time sitting down with them and telling them these, these stories that all fit together and tell one big story. So we've learned what we, we are like, we're sinful, that there's no hope that we can do anything to please God and yet this is what God is like. You know, sin must be paid for, sin must be punished because God is just, but he's rich in mercy, he's great in love and he came and did something that nobody could ever think of doing to help us. He decided that he would become a man like us but remain perfect and that all of our sins and all of the bad things that had to be paid for, that he would pay for them himself. And he did that and we've listened to that this morning as we've come into um, communion and gone through that. He did this through his grace. And then it says he raised us from the dead and seated us with Christ. All those people that are in Christ, us who are in Christ, This morning in God's sight we're already seated in heaven reigning with Christ. We can't fathom that because we haven't reached that yet. Because we have a past, we live in the present and we're looking into the future. But with God there is no past or future, it's all present. And we can't fathom that but even that concept comes out through the big story. And so God is saying that if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, we've listened to the message from his perspective we've understood and we've agreed with God. Then he's filled us with his spirit, he's put us into Christ and we are already reigning with Christ. And that is something that only the spirit of God can impart to us and reveal to us so that we can understand it. It says that we're raised from the dead but it doesn't actually say this part he killed us in Christ. What does that mean? Well, if you get through the big story and especially if you go through Romans, Romans explains to us, for us to get into heaven, we had to be killed. There's no way that we sinful people could get into heaven. So God killed us. And so what does that mean? God killed us and God put us in the the tomb, dead. But then he raised us from the tomb into new life. When Jesus died on the cross, In God's sight, each one of us who have believed in Jesus, he put into Christ. So when Christ hung on the cross, you and I were hanging on the cross in God's sight. But did you feel any pain? No, we didn't feel any pain or suffering. Jesus took all of that for us. And then we're put into the tomb. Jesus was put into the tomb. But that's not as far as it went. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus alive again to life again and us with him. And so that is what happened to us in God's sight. And so he killed us, he buried us and he raised us again with Christ. And because of that, all that God did, it's finished, it's completed and nothing can change that. No matter what you do, 
you cannot change that because you didn't do it. God did it. And he decided that this is going to be an eternal thing. And so that frees us up to enjoy God. But the purpose of this wasn't just to get us to heaven. And that's what we really need to understand. The purpose of this that God did to us was that we would become examples, real life displays of his amazing power so that all who see it will give praise and honour to him throughout the coming ages. God, whatever God does, he does it to display his glory and his power and who he is. Everything God has created, all of the incredible universe that we're just now coming to see in pictures from the Hubble telescope, amazing galaxies and beautiful things that we didn't even know were there. All of that God created to display his power and his beauty. God is a fantastic artist who paints beautiful pictures with these big galaxies. We would never have known that, but God has revealed that to us. The Psalms tells us that day and night, all that God has created is speaking to us. Did you know that? That the sun and the moon and the stars and all that's around us is speaking to us. God is saying, look what I created. I am God. But we're so busy with our lives and we're so busy with interpreting God's word ourselves, we just want to you know, ask questions all the time and not listen to what God is saying, but God is speaking to us. So God has done this amazing thing for us in our salvation. He's not just going to get us to heaven, but he's come out of heaven into us And he wants to do this amazing work so that we can enjoy a relationship with him right now. So salvation is totally a work of God and the verses 8 and 9 tell us that over and over again that it's totally a work of God apart from us. And if we really realise that and we believe it, then we won't be doubting our salvation. We will be constantly praising him that whatever he does, he does it as permanent and it's secure. And the reason that God has done this amazing work totally apart from us is for this. We are God's workmanship. God is doing something with us and in our lives that's displaying his power and his glory. And he's done this. We are his masterpiece. What is presently being done in us cannot be accomplished by any human being. When you hear people's testimonies of how they they were incredible drug addicts or murderers and, and then all of a sudden they're no longer that anymore. They are believers and they've renounced all of that past that they had and they've trusted in Christ. No one could have convinced those people to, to change like that. Only God can do that. The Talantic people in the jungle There's no way that we could have just marched in there and told them, you're sinners, you need to believe in God, you know, believe in him. They would just say, get out of here, you don't know what you're talking about. You're from a faraway country and you don't know anything about us. But they didn't. They heard this big story, they understood it and they believed it and God transformed them. And one day in glory you'll meet them and see what transformation God has done. But they didn't do it, God did it and he did it to display his power. And he did it to give us a purpose for our living. The purpose of this creation tells us in verse 10 is that we will do good works. And I haven't got time this morning to go into this but 
God's workmanship is not achieved by good works, but it is to result in good works. Okay, so we're always thinking, what can I do to please God? What can I do to make him love me more? God says, nothing. I've done everything that is needed for you to come into a relationship with me. Listen to me. Understand what I'm saying. And if you agree with me, then I will give you my spirit. And then I will make you into a beautiful person. And then, guess what? Out from you will come good works. Not from your strength, not from your striving and ability, but out from you will come your good works. And I haven't got time this morning, but don't jot down some of these verses and have a look. All the way through the New Testament, God is talking about us doing good works. But it's not doing in our own strength. It actually means walking in good works. So what does this mean? It means that if God has come down out of heaven into us in the person of Christ through the Holy Spirit, there should be some evidences in our lives that that has happened. So a person who calls himself a Christian but they're still the same, nothing's taken place, there is no evidence. So the challenge comes to us this morning, am I a believer? And if I am a believer, do I know Christ personally? Has Christ come down to dwell in me? And is his life being showed out through me? The good works that we do as believers have their origin in Christ. Ephesians talks about us being put into Christ and Christ being put into us. And so we now live the life that Christ lives. You know, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't just raise him from the dead to remain here on the earth, but he, re- he raised him from the dead to go to heaven and to display his authority and his power. And that same Christ is living in us. Is he just able to display his authority and power in our lives? When Jesus says to us, you will do this, what do we say? Yes, Lord. Or do we say, when I have time, Lord? Jesus says, go there to that place, do that. We say, yes, Lord, when I have time. If Jesus is Lord in our lives now, people will see it. And so the works that we that are produced from our lives now are not from our striving and strength, but from the life of Christ that who is living within us. And so this morning the challenge comes, are we seeing the gospel from God's perspective? Are we realising it that it is the source of it is God, not us? And do we realise the purpose of our Christian life, the purpose of our salvation is to bring us into a relationship with Christ, to display his power through our living and our life here, that we are different, that we have been set apart from the world, even though we're living in the world and among the worldly people. And then finally, you know, what we're doing here and allowing Christ to do here will determine what kind of eternal life we will enjoy in glory. So that's the challenge to us this morning. Um, I wish I had more time to, to go into more depth, but I just want us to see things from God's perspective and not from our own selfish perspective where we want to get to heaven, we want God to do this, we want God to do that. But let's listen to God from the beginning all the way through. Let's teach our children, our grandchildren all the way through the big story so that they can understand these deep, um, concentrated truths that are 
written about in the epistles of Paul. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for opening it to us this morning. Lord, a lot has been shared and a lot has been said. Father, I pray that you'll bring back to our hearts and our memories the things that are of you, the things that you want us to think about. Father, write them on our hearts and help us, Lord, to think about them and to pursue getting answers from yourself by reading your word and by listening to you. I thank you, Lord, that each one of us here who knows you, that we have been called into your purpose and plan. That, Father, it's not just about us getting to heaven, but it's about having a relationship with you now and enjoying you. Father, may we grow in your truth. Give us a hunger, Lord, for your word, to understand it, to hear it from your perspective, and to agree with you, Lord, on this. Father, for those here who don't know you, Father, I pray that they will be challenged to think about their life now, that if it doesn't have purpose and meaning, and if their future is not secure, they have no hope of spending eternity with you. Father, I pray that they will be challenged, that they will seek you and find you. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here in this place and I pray for your continued blessing upon them as they reach out into the community and into their workplaces, into their own homes, teaching their own children and grandchildren, that you would spur them on, Lord, that you will excite them about yourself. We pray, Lord, that they will not just depend upon um, the pastor here, Lord, and Pastor Calvin and, and the, the leaders and the Bible um, teachers and the Sunday school teachers, but they themselves, Lord, would take responsibility for their children and their grandchildren. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of knowing you, being your servants in this world, and we just want to give you all the praise and the glory, Lord, for allowing us to be your children today. We thank you so much in Jesus' precious name. Amen.